Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb and I'm here to share some of the most epic conversations I get to have with some of the most fascinating people on our planet. Every episode is dedicated to elevating the conversation around mental health because it ain't weak to speak. I'm a massive believer that a conversation could change and save a life for the better. Thank you for joining me on this journey. What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. I'm here, sunny Los Angeles. Wherever you are right now, I hope you're well. I hope you're looking after yourselves. What's been happening in your life? If it's going through a bit of hardship, any struggles, or if you're just listening to this podcast because you just want to feel inspired to live a better life or to learn something new in your own life or, or learn something to teach someone else in your life that you care about. Whatever it is that brings you to this podcast today, welcome. I'm so excited to have you here. We have an amazing guest on the podcast today. As I said, it's my promise to all of you to bring on the guests that I believe that share some of the most fascinating and unique stories from right around the world to this podcast here with all of us. So strap yourselves in, everyone, and let's talk about our next guest onto the podcast today. His name is Zach Williams. Now, some of you might know or know of Zach Williams or the name might ring a bell for whatever reasons that may be. Zach is the co-founder and the CEO of PIM. Now, PIM stands for Prepare Your Mind. Now, Zach and his wife, Olivia, co-founded this, you know, not many years ago, actually. It's quite new. And it basically is an all-natural amino acid mood chew that really helps you feel kind of calm and, and relaxed. Now, I can tell you from my own experiences, and I was lucky enough to receive a care package from Olivia and Zach, and they work, you know. They definitely help knock that edge off a little bit, especially if you're feeling mild to, to moderate, you know, kind of like anxiety kind of stressful sensations when you're kind of in that fight or flight mode i definitely am not getting paid to endorse it by any means i'm genuinely telling you how it affected me and it was great they're definitely onto something there and i'm a big advocate for for what zach and olivia have created that being said zach had a has had a has had his own i guess ups and downs and mental health struggles throughout life and I obviously get Zach onto the podcast to talk about those and what that meant for him and, and how that affected him. But we also talk about his father, Robin Williams, which I'm sure a lot of you know who he was. Uh, he was amazing and, and, you know, he got to star in some of the most amazing films and, and TV of, of our generation. And he graced our television screens for years. And Robin died by suicide actually in 2014. So, you know, eight years ago, and I really want to talk to Zach about the impact that had on his life and obviously his family. And then we talk about, you know, Zach's 
mental health struggles and substance use and what he did to get over that and how he manages his day-to-day life today and, and what that looks like. But we go into a bunch of deep, great stuff. I wish I could speak to Zach for a lot longer, but I was very lucky to get him for, for the time that I did. So without further ado, guys, let's bring him onto the podcast. This is one you don't want to miss. So strap yourselves in and let's go. Well, welcome onto the podcast, Zach Williams. Mate, it's a real pleasure sitting opposite you on a screen, having a chat to you today, all things mental health and suicide prevention. How are you? Sam, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Turns out we live near one another. I know, man. You're over at Sherman great. Oaks. I'm going to be over there tomorrow actually picking up a new car. I've never owned a new car in my entire life, and I'm picking up a new car. Exciting. Exciting. Can you share any details about the car? Mate, it's just a little X3 all-wheel drive. Nice. And the missus, I should say, we handed in her Toyota Prius, which was about six years old, and thought, you know what? We're at a time in our lives where we've got to get ourselves a present, so to speak. So, mate, we got a little car and we've been waiting eight weeks. So I've been walking all over LA for the last two months. Ah, amazing. Well, congratulations. Thanks, man. Thanks. Well, mate, it's great to have you on the podcast, obviously. And, you know, we've crossed paths before, never actually met you, never actually had a chance to talk to you in a space like this, but obviously know a lot of the great work that you're doing in mental health advocacy. And obviously the project that you started called PIM, which we'll definitely talk about on this podcast. But mate, I want to rewind rewind a little bit. Take me back. Obviously, you landed in mental health for a reason. This is what you're very passionate about. And I can't wait to talk to you about it all. Where did it all sort of unfold for you as Zach? Zach Williams, where did mental health, is it something that was around the time of your dad's passing? Was this passed before that, back as a kid? Like, Talk to me around mental health for you. Sure. Well, it's not something that really registered with me early on in life, although I had anxiety, I had insomnia, I had some elements of trauma earlier on. And the family dynamic for me, especially on my mom's side specifically, which was Italian-American heritage, which is a thing, meaning there's a thing relating to mental health and how it's viewed in many cultures and in the specific culture associated with Italian-American families, or at least in my Italian-American family, it was seen as something that wasn't necessarily openly discussed. And, you know, my mom is very open to speaking about these things and the like, but I think from a cultural perspective, through the generations, my understanding was, hey, you don't really talk about mental health. It's reserved for seeing a psychiatrist or being institutionalized. Aside from that, you're fine. Walk it off, drink it off, do whatever it is you need to do to manage it and don't discuss it because it's nobody else's business. And so that was kind of my perspective on things for a good chunk of my childhood and young adulthood. And yeah, after my dad died by suicide, I certainly started prioritizing it more, primarily because I was just not having a good go at things. I was drinking alcoholically. I was diagnosed with trauma. I was just really trying to manage what was becoming an unmanageable situation. So that's when I started realizing, oh man, I got to start prioritizing my mental health if I'm going to be present and available and existing on this planet. So, you know, I just started 
taking it very seriously over the course of the past, I would say, seven years, but really focusing on it over the past five years. So there were some catalyzing moments, but you know, I'd always dealt with mental health or mental health issues. I just wasn't really willing to acknowledge the depth of what I was going through. And kind of like using whether it was alcohol or substances to kind of dull the pain and kind of move on and like that suck it up mentality that the American Italian, you know, culture definitely consumes as does Australian and a lot of other parts of the world. Would I be right saying that? Kind of like you never had time to really digest and think about it and what it actually meant, what it looked like and all that? Well, mind you, you know, I think these dynamics are changing in communities and cultures all throughout the world. I'm very much speaking to my experience 25 years ago. for sure. For sure. Right. And so, you know, it's changing, but we still need to acknowledge the stigma that exists in families and communities and say, hey, why is it that this stigma is manifesting? And culturally speaking, what was it that kind of brought us to this phase? Why are we in this situation? So that was my experience. Ultimately, I'm very thankful of that experience because it helped me understand, hey, here's a situation where if you're not taking care of yourself, and you're not, you know, discussing your experience, you can end up in a given situation versus if you do the things to take care of yourself, if you're actively seeking mental hygiene and a practical approach to self-care, you're going to have a better time, but you need to know what a bad time looks like. Yeah, exactly. To get on with the good time. hundred percent. And speaking about knowing the bad time before you can kind of get onto the good time, I can resonate with that, you know, a lot. I feel like for me, my turning point was, you know, a few years ago when we started living and after we lost a good friend of suicide, we started living and our mantra, as you know, is it ain't weak to speak. So it's all about, you know, crushing that stigma around mental health and empowering people to speak up and seek help and all that sort of stuff. Was there a pivotal moment like when you say you had to go through that really rough spot, was there a standout pivotal moment in your childhood or early teens that kind of stood out for you where you went, it was like a bad point for you or was there any moment? Yeah. I mean, one of my best friends who was my cousin died by suicide when I was 12 years old, he was 13. And that was my first exposure to being personally impacted by suicide. That was really challenging as a teenager, or I guess you could say an adult, if you want to call an 18 year old, an adult, I guess technically we do as a young adult, I moved to New York city and experienced September 11th as a freshman in college and everything associated with that. And at the time I was like, this is just things people go through when they become adults and they, enter the world and the experience associated with that. And so, you know, in hindsight, I realized that there's trauma there and, you know, I wasn't impacted in the way in which I didn't have family members or the like who were, you know, casualties in that event, but it was something that did affect me greatly. And I wasn't willing to acknowledge it because I was like, I don't have a friend or direct family member who is injured or, killed by this event therefore i can't speak up around how it's impacting me Ah, okay. right yeah and i think you know we need to acknowledge these different things and you know not every situation involves having a family member or friend or person you care about get injured or pass away or get sick 
you can be impacted by people you don't know or by world events and things like that. You need to acknowledge that experience. It's like that stuff in the subconscious. It doesn't necessarily have to be a direct, what I'm hearing you say, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's kind of like you don't have to have a direct impact, but you can still be heavily impacted by the surrounding or the situation at hand. Exactly. Exactly. And I think we need to acknowledge that because I think in many circumstances, it's not just one thing, right? It's a collection of things. So there might be that catalyzing moment. It could be the death of a loved one. It could be you getting injured or a friend getting injured or having a really scary experience with substances or the like. But it can also be a collection or one single event in the world or in your environment, in your community. Those add up. And I think if there's one little thing that I need to acknowledge is those events add up. And if we don't address them in a decisive way, they can really get to you. and You won't even know what it is that's getting to you until it's overwhelming. It's very powerful, man. It's very true because we often live as human beings in such a fast-paced world and we kind of like we're expected to pick it up and pick up the pieces and just keep running. But like what you're saying is like if we don't sit there and really truly acknowledge what's happening and sit with our feelings, thoughts, and emotions, you know, it can take a real big impact. And by the time you're maybe seeking help or you get to a place where maybe you can't or you're not in a position to seek help, it sometimes can be too late and it can be too late for a lot of people. And I think that's why it's great work that you do, especially with mental health advocacy and all that sort of stuff to, and with your project with PIM, I mean, to talk about these topics of conversation, talk about these things that not many people truly love to talk about, let's be honest. I mean, stigma is definitely eradicated to a point, I would like to say not eradicated, it's probably minimized to a point in certain places in this world, but it's, it's still very prevalent. What do you yeah. think on that? Yeah, you agree? Yeah, I believe it's very prevalent in, in mass media. In popular culture, it's still a thing. I think younger generations are addressing these type of issues in a more thoughtful way, primarily because they've grown up in an environment of information overload and potential hyperconnectivity. I mean, I grew up, I'm 39 years old, and I grew up in an environment where, you know, when I was 12 years old, 13 years old, 14 years old, we had pagers. Starting at like 13 years old, you had a pager. And then like 16, 17, maybe someone had a cell phone. Maybe we had a cell phone, but it was not like a thing. And now you have the, literally the entire information of the world at your fingertips at any given time. Most of the information, right? Yeah. And you're experiencing knowledge or the conveying of information. I don't know if you want to call it knowledge. It's probably knowledge. In these seven second, 11 second, 15 second, 30 second bursts. And you're having to manage it as a piece of information of, you know, one of thousands that you're getting during the day, A, B, all over the place, what you're getting. Some is violence, some is sex, some is uplifting information, some is degrading material, some is considered, you know, verifiable information, some is not verifiable. And throughout all of that, teens and young adults are having to figure out ways to cope. I mean, and older generations too, but, you know, for these 
generations where it's native. This mode of information is native. It's just overwhelming. And if you, if you don't talk about your experience, then you literally am mentally implode. Yeah, and you're carrying it and it just weighs on you, doesn't it? Like you mentioned earlier, you don't even know that it's weighing on you to a point where you do implode. And then you're like, oh my God. But then it could be, like you mentioned, it could be one you know, pivotal moment in your life or a really traumatic experience or it could be a number of experiences that might be to you, might be very different to me, Zach. You know, we're all very different humans and what affects you may not affect me in that same way. And that's why I always say to people, and I'll say this, you know, with my hand on my heart is you can never judge someone's journey or what they've been through because everyone's been through their own shit and you just don't know until you either sit with them long enough and you ask the right questions and let them talk or you just may never know. And some people never share how they feel. What did you do, mate? Like looking back in those years when you were growing up as a young fella, you know, in the household and all that stuff and you know, speaking about it probably wasn't the first thing that you do and coping and dealing with it. How would you, how would Zach back in the day when you were going through it, how would you cope with it? Like whether it was positive or negative, what would you do as a coping mechanism that at that time you thought that was the right thing to do? Oh man. Well, you know, in my experience, I always relied upon, I mean, since a pretty early age, alcohol and everything associated with it. Right. But in many ways that was ways to reduce the social anxiety so I could spend time with other people and feel comfortable. I think that was one element of it. The other was just kind of the pure euphoria, the removal of anxiety. That was another thing. You know, I did discover things like therapy and exercise, but I think I didn't really acknowledge the relationship I had with using substances to manage my mental health over a big chunk of my life until a few years ago. And in many ways, I was like, this was working for me until it wasn't, right? And the thing for me was like, I can take on the weight of everything I'm dealing with, providing I can numb myself. But you're really not taking anything on. You're just avoiding. You're just not really intaking <laughs> the actual information. Yeah, you're just suppressing it. You're kind of putting a, and then it comes back with an vengeance. Yeah. It's just gnarly. Yeah, mate. I can certainly resonate with you on that. And I think a lot of, you know, younger people probably feel the same way or go through or similar things kind of thing, you know, they, and some people don't have the tools and they don't have the strategies or the means to be able to seek mental health support or reach out to people in their life that they trust that they can share with about how they feel. And I guess these are why we do the things that we do, you know, Zach, with what you're doing with you, with Pim and, and what we do with living. I mean, it all goes to helping make a difference. With the moment, I guess, you know, you going through your own experiences, then obviously losing your dad in 2014. Yeah, 2014. Was that something that was completely out of the blue for you? Like, you know, like, because I speak to people over the years, right, that have lost people to suicide or people, loved ones. You know, my friend, for example, I didn't even see it coming. I had that conversation with him a couple of hours before he did it. And he. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Opened up to me about everything. Said, yeah, I'm all right, life's good, future looks bright and promising. I didn't see it. But in hindsight, I go, Maybe there were some serious warning signs there that I overlooked that night because I wasn't being vulnerable enough myself as Sam Webb to listen non-judgmentally instead of trying to offer advice all the time. And maybe I just didn't listen properly. So that's something that I've learned. But when we go back to you losing, you know, your father back in 2014, was there anything that was, was it completely out of the blue? Or when you look back at it now, you think far out, there was a few warning signs there. I wouldn't say it was completely out of the blue, but it was unexpected. And through that experience, the thing I've started to realize in terms of other people's experience as well is that there are modes of thinking that don't involve, say, you know, a general decline, general collapse into depression. It can be kind of a very spur of the moment type of situation. And that's what a lot of people experience, whether in attempting suicide or like, and, you know, I think in our situation, it was something that was surprising and we came to terms with it, but I don't think there was a planned component there, truly. So yeah, I would say it was surprising. Obviously, very sorry to hear about that and the impact that that obviously has had on your direct family and you. And it's great to see the work that you're doing, obviously, since then. Because I think what, PIM started not too long after? When did it start? Five years ago? I got to work on it in 2019. Yeah. Okay. So it was actually newer than that. I thought it was a, a little longer ago. No, like three years ago. Yeah. So going through those moments between losing your dad, coming to terms with it, going through your own grief, your own mental health journey, your trauma that comes with that again, I don't know. I can sit here and listen, maybe resonate with some of the things that might be similar to what I've experienced losing like a really close friend. And then I've lost some family members as well in the past prior to that. I don't know exactly how it felt because everyone's very different. But like that navigating that journey between there and, you know, putting your efforts into mental health advocacy, was it a way of kind of, I don't like to explain it like this, but not kind of diverting when I look back with living, it's kind of like my heartache and my struggle, you know, I was so busy trying to produce living after we lost Dwayne, it kind of made me feel like I was doing something good because I felt like I needed to try and numb some of that pain that I was experiencing at the time. Was there any of that kind of in your journey after, you know, losing your father? In part. I mean, it's complicated, right? Because there's a shared experience 
that many people have, but we ultimately, I think many people learn a lot about themselves through the process and it catalyzes change in many survivors because in the vast majority of situations, it's traumatic. So I don't know, for me, I really felt like there was a turning point in my life relating to me managing the trauma that I experienced, which in turn was untenable. I had to figure out ways to turn things around for me because also coinciding with that. And, uh, you know, also a large part of it related to long-term alcohol abuse of which I was using to manage the trauma, but it had been going on prior and coinciding with that divorce was in a lawsuit, which is traumatic in its own right, especially if you, you just weren't expecting the situation and that's hard. Talk right? about having a Ryan with some bad things all at once. It sounds crazy. Right. But this is not, you know, divorce is not unique to me, right? Lawsuits, especially involving estate stuff. That's what it was. Like the situation was relating to people seeking clarification around what's what and the like. And so this is not unique to me, but I'd say it's an experience that is likely traumatic for many, many people. And I had to undergo massive changes in how I was conducting myself if I was going to make it through that time and era. Otherwise, I would have found myself potentially in a terrible situation. You know, for me, I'm very grateful of how everything turned out because I found an opportunity to heal and find service as a path to happiness. And ultimately, there's no resentment around all this situation. I was resentful for a long period of time, for several years. But so let me reframe that. Nah, you're right. Who was the resentment to? Was it resentment to a bunch of people? Because what was happening? What was it exactly? Well, you know, it's challenging when you have a bunch of, when you're feeling like a victim and you're like, all these things are happening to me. This lawsuit is happening to me. This divorce is happening to me. And there's stages of that, right? Where it's like, oh, wow. First off, acknowledgement of my role in, in everything. There are certain situations where you're just a subject of something happening, right? Whether it's a legal situation, you're just, you know, there's a plaintiff and a defendant, right? Yeah, you're just there, yeah. You're just there. And that can be challenging because you're like, why is this happening? I'm so frustrated and I'm angry at this person who is doing something to me. But really at its core, they're just trying to figure out their own situation and own place within this matrix that is our interconnected lives, right? And with the splitting apart of relationships, you know, there's potential anger and resentment and all this stuff that can crop up. But ultimately, what I came to realize, like, look, I have a part in this. I have addiction issues, substance abuse issues, and I need to acknowledge that that's a massive part in why all these things come to be. And coinciding with that, then I need to understand, hey, stop being so angry at everybody else and start acknowledging your role within things. Understand why you might feel resentful, why there might be frustration, and then just start to tease things apart and understand, hey, like, let go of that and start to find what you do have control over and focus on kind of orienting around, surrounding yourself with people who build you up. It's good advice. It's great advice. 
who can expand your world, get rid of that resentment. It's no good for anybody. Yeah, and it's great advice, but how did you come to get that? Like, Was that something that just came within Zach? Oh, I feel it. This is the right time. Or did you seek support? Or did you get advice from a mentor? I had to seek support because that anger and resentment was eating me up. I was so frustrated. I was like, why are all these things happening to me? What did I do? I have never actively tried to harm people in my life. Why are people actively trying to harm me? And it was like a victim's mindset, right? Instead of saying, hey, look, I have agency throughout all this. I have an opportunity to help people. I have an opportunity to be of service. I have an opportunity to get rid of that trauma, to heal from it, and then take my experience and ideally show up for others. Now I have two young children. I have a wife whom I love dearly. And through that all, I came to realize, hey, it was a personal realization, right? I was like, things came to, I don't know if you want to call it a peak or a low point. At that low point, I was like, look, either I can continue abusing alcohol and things like that and continue to be miserable and resentful, or I can say, hey, here's why I'm feeling the things that I'm feeling. Start working through that. And free myself of all that burden, right? And so I chose the latter. And in freeing myself of that burden, it's given me an opportunity to really take a look at my surroundings and the people who I love and who love me and who I care, even people beyond people who might, you know, want to get to know better and who I see as caring deeply about causes and are passionate about helping and supporting other people finding those people and spending more time with them and learning more about myself and the world is what I chose to apply my time to. It's great. I mean, it's a great learning. And I know, you know, I could resonate certainly with you from what you said at the start of this conversation around having to go through some of those really rough moments in your life to kind of understand and appreciate those good moments and be surrounded by, you know, you've got a wife, you've got two kids. I feel like everyone in the world goes through good times and they go through really bad times but i also do realize that if we go back to the point and i'm using your example that you said here is you know when you're frustrated you're resentful you're victimizing everything you had a choice and you made the choice to look at things differently you had that winner's mindset where unfortunately we live in a world where some people just they don't have the ability they don't have the muscle or the support to get to that stage in their life. You know what I mean? There are just there are just some people that will just never be able to turn it around. And I've met them, I've spoken to them, I've tried to help people in the past. You know what I mean? Like what's your advice to someone that might be stuck on the fence right now? Your personal advice, your lived experience advice, that might be, you know, going through it. They're looking at everything and like, what have I done wrong kind of thing? What's your advice to them? My advice to them is learn to be of help and service to humanity. There's a massively healing element relating to that. But in order to do that, like I wish when I'm frustrated with people, when I'm angry or when I'm wishing someone well, which happens, you know, it's the same bucket. It's whether I wish someone well, whether I'm frustrated with someone, or whether I'm angry at someone, I wish for them to be happy, to find meaning in their life and to ultimately be free of trauma. That's what I'm seeking for people. In on a whole, but I'm saying specifically for those people who I'm, you know, saying, oh, wow, what's their problem? What's their hangups and the like? I'm thinking to myself, may they find happiness. May they find freedom. 
and ways to be of service because ultimately that's what I found for myself and it's freed me from being frustrated and resentful. And it's not easy. I mean, I still get resentful and frustrated. It happens like just like over the course of a day. I just have tools to manage through it. Very well said. And you've mentioned now, you know, a few times about being of service and being of help to others has been a very rewarding part of the healing journey whenever dealing with trauma. I agree wholeheartedly. I've been through, you know, certain things and I've done something similar to kind of be of service, hopefully, and to help other people. And it's certainly helped me. Now, we talk about this and you've spoken about this a few times, the purpose part of it and finding that, you know, service seeking and being of help to others. Are we talking directly about you then starting PIM? Is that where it all sort of come about? And then being an advocate for mental health and do you want to talk us through that part of your journey a few years ago when you decided to set up this organization and help people? Well, first off, there's a couple of things. As I stopped drinking alcohol to manage my mental health and realized that I was still really anxious, I started discovering nutrition as a means of supporting my well-being. Specifically, I found things like GABA, which is a amino acid that's supports the GABA system, things like L-theanine. And I was like, oh, wow, why did I not learn of these sooner? And through this experience, I can really help and heal myself based upon what I was learning, right? In terms of, you know, you can take nutrition and apply nutrition to manage your mental well-being. And I was totally shocked that this was not something I knew prior. And so the start for me was like, hey, I want to bring awareness around these compounds that can help people balance out their neurotransmitter health. And then coinciding with that, it was like, oh, wow, I want to build a brand that stands for mental health and breaking down the stigma associated with mental health while it advocates for healing, parity, access, quality of care, all these different things. And so that's why I started PIM. How could I align what I was interested in with what I was passionate about and what I was actively doing on a day-to-day level in the private sector vocationally, right? Yeah, yeah, nice. I love that, man. So PIM stands for prepare your mind. Yes. Is this full-time for you now? Is this something you've gone all in with? You're doing this every day? Yep, it's full-time. I'm the chief executive officer and co-founder. I started with my wife. We have investors. We have tens of thousands of customers. We've sold hundreds of thousands of our tins. It's been awesome. Mate, that is incredible. Obviously, I've been on your site and I've checked out some of the great feedback from people who have bought and they're regular buyers and they leave great reviews. What's been one of the most rewarding things from starting it? By far, hearing from people how our first product, the Mood Chew, has changed the way in which people think about taking care of themselves. And that happens on a weekly basis. And it's just exciting because they just keep on coming in. It's like a floodgate and that makes my day. That really makes my day. That is truly a great concept. Not only like, cause you know, and obviously you're doing it to make greater change, helping educate people, of course, around, you know, nutrients and the things, you know, that we should be having in our body and the things that we probably shouldn't be along with mental health literacy and all that sort of great stuff. What's your vision for it? Like into the future, like, in your perfect sense of the word, like what does a perfect vision look like to you, Zach, for PIM? That we help spread awareness around nutrition for mental well-being, that using nutrition to take care of one's mental health becomes a household thing, that plain and simple. 
Ideally, we also want to integrate the idea or catalyze the idea of mental hygiene being something that anybody can integrate into their life. What do you mean by mental hygiene? Just through the foods that you eat? Or are we talking about the social media that we intake, the relationships? No, I mean, like applying nutrition, fitness, mindfulness, meditation, therapy, community support, all those things to really creating a mosaic that best supports you. Sure, And because everyone's very vastly different, I mean, it's good to have a multitude of different tools and techniques that may work for some people and may work for, you know, may not work for other people. What have you found for you, Zach, over your journey, you know, going, you know, reflecting back on some shitty times and some of those really dark moments in your life where you had a choice to, you know, make a difference, make a change in your own life or potentially maybe not even be around. What has been the biggest game-changing habits and routines that you've committed yourself to to really feel good about who you are in the world, but also your mental health and to serve other people? Sure. It's all about gratitude and being free of resentment. Those are the things that I work on on a daily basis. That and eating well and making sure I get enough time in nature and with friends. It's not rocket science. It's just consistency. What happens if you're not consistent now? What happens? Then I get crispy. Then I get frustrated and a little annoyed. You know, getting enough sleep is important too. I have young kids and want to show up for them in the best way possible. And often, you know, I can get sidetracked by life and running a company. And if I don't take care of myself, it starts showing over time. Yeah. Rest is definitely something that's highly underrated, you know, so I'm a big advocate for that. And a lot of these tools that you've mentioned are free getting the right sleep and nutrition and all that sort of stuff. So, But I guess, you know, I want to stress as well how important it is to do what's right for you. It's great to support and have a bunch of tools. But if one doesn't work for one person, it doesn't mean to give up. I think it's always cool to encourage others to try new things in their world. How, how can I get my hands on some mood shoes, brother? Plain and simple. You can go to PYM.com, P-Y-M.com. Straight on the website. Mm-hmm. Are you on Amazon? We are on Amazon too, but you can get it straight from our website as well. Cool, cool. All right, mate. Well, before we wrap up the podcast, obviously, I know you're crunched for time and I appreciate all of your time already today. Pleasure is mine. It was a pleasure speaking. Yeah, mate, it was. It was a real pleasure. And hopefully, we get to catch up in human form soon, man. That'd be awesome. Yeah. But before we close, man, I do want to ask you, and I've already asked you one, what was your best piece of advice? But I also want to ask you, Zach, what's the top thing that you've learned in your life? Plain and simple, service is the path to happiness. That's what it's all about for me. I love it, man. I love it. Well, you heard it, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you're listening to this around the world, I appreciate you, you Zach. I appreciate you being open and honest and sharing some of your journey with all of us today. Don't forget, everyone, to subscribe to the podcast because you'll help us gain traction in the world of podcasts so that we can save more lives. But until next time, Zach, I appreciate you, mate. I appreciate your time. Keep crushing it. And I cannot wait to order myself some PIMS because I'm an anxious man and I need to get my hands on them. Well, I hope that we can help support anxiety. And such a pleasure. I hope we get to connect in person soon. Thank you for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. Please subscribe to the show and help us climb the charts so that we can attract new listeners and change more lives. If you found something very useful in this episode, please share and spread the love to as many people as you can. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation can save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at living.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you. But in the meantime, 
We're going to the top. And remember, it ain't weak to speak. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.